0: Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFizz podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 144, and today's guest is Andre Pauly, co-founder and CEO at Sable. The concept of Sable was born based on Andre's own personal experience as an international student while attending business school at Columbia. The complexity and the process of getting a bank account set up was incredibly archaic and very challenging. The same goes for obtaining a credit card, and it all can take months to get set up. Well, like any ambitious entrepreneur, especially one who's interested in the fintech industry, Andre took action. Along with his co founders, Sable is making banking in the U.S. for internationals easy. This New York City startup recently graduated from Y Combinator's summer cohort. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics like Andre's background and professional history, what led the team down the path of solving the problem of banking for internationals, all the details on Sable and how they got started. The challenges they had to overcome while dealing with a complicated and regulated banking industry, advice on the application process at Y Combinator and how to maximize your company's time there, and so much more. Okay, quick side note, whenever someone asks me the question, who are the fastest growing tech companies in New York or Boston, I simply direct them to our biz pages. From there, you can do a virtual tour of each tech scene and explore over 290 companies. Each biz page tells you everything you need to know about a company from a high level like the details on the company itself, its culture, job openings, leadership team, and so much more. Go to venturefiz.com backslash bizpages to start exploring. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Andre. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Keith. It's a pleasure to uh, speak to you.
0: So I always am fascinated by a person's kind of foundational years, so the, the background story. So let's, uh, let's talk about your background. So where did you grow up? What were you like as, as a child?
1: Well, um, so I grew up in, in two countries, actually. I am from Central Europe, and I was born in uh, the southern part of Slovakia, or the former Czechoslovakia at the time uh in a in a mixed family so my mom was hungarian and my dad was a slovak so uh he actually spoke two languages at home and uh it was an interesting place to grow up you know because of the ethnicities mixed in the city and so on um and i i lived there until i was 14 when i moved to to budapest hungary the capital which was you know a big change for me because i moved from a uh, this small city with thirty thousand people to metropolis to two and a half million people wow. and um it was a big change uh i actually kept going back and spending you know every weekend from friday afternoon to monday morning back in my hometown for a couple of years uh and and then you know as, as i got like into the later teenage years i started enjoying the big city and the opportunities there um so
0: yeah what did your parents do for work
1: Um, so my dad was, uh, uh, was an engineer by trade, but you know, as soon as, uh, the communism fell in the Eastern Bloc, he started his own business. He was doing like, uh, car security, like car, you know, installing car alarms and then doing building security and, um, a bit of like, you know, different tech, uh, parts and appliances and things like that. Mm-hmm. And my mom, she was, uh, she was an accountant and she um, ended up, uh, you know, similarly, right after 1990, there was a new company, an interior design company uh, in the construction business. And she went to do accounting there and she actually stayed there till this day. So, ah. uh, and very interestingly, you know, my mom just started a new business uh, this summer. So, uh, it's like I'm not the only entrepreneur, new entrepreneur in the family.
0: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, is entrepreneurship runs in the family.
1: Well, yeah, you know, it's a, I guess, you know, I, I was a kid at the time, but it was a very interesting period in, in Eastern Europe when uh, it was, you know, nobody could have their own business. Everything was like uh, government-owned. And in 1989, they just said, all right, you can start businesses now. People, I think, did not really know what, what it takes to start a business. But they just uh, jumped into it. And yeah, a lot of people in my family, like my aunts and uncles, they all started some kinds of business. So it it was always something I have seen in the family. Although I I think that now, you know, our generation has much more resources and knowledge available about like how to actually do a business.
0: Right. Yeah, no, it's definitely a a totally different ballgame. So you went on to um, study business information technology at the University of Budapest. So what was the thought of, uh, of studying that?
1: I think it's a, you know, it was, it was an interesting dilemma because I, I always felt as a kid, like kind of like a dreamer or a creator. I was always like coming up with like new things and, and stuff like that. And it was really pushing me towards engineering. But then as we had this, uh, this entrepreneurship in the family, and uh, I knew that, I want to learn about business. This was due a degree which had some of like business administration and some of like, you know, computer science in it. So I just took the compromise and, uh, and selected the program that, that had both parts in it, which I think, you know, proved to be very helpful for me. So then when once I graduated, I went into consulting and I quickly got into projects where... I was somewhere in between the business and the IT function and, you know, facilitating the communication and just, just in general, uh, being able to talk the language of, of engineers and understand what's going on, uh, under the surface, but also having this bigger picture view of the business, like what are the business fundamentals and where is the business headed and what makes it successful. I think it was a great combination for me. And this is at McKinsey, right? Yes. So, uh, that was my first. I had a few shorter, like internships, and then a few uh, shorter jobs. But then, uh, the first one where I settled was at McKinsey, which is, you know, an international consulting firm. So I had uh, the opportunity to travel, which uh, which is great. I worked in a lot of European countries, and uh, a lot of very interesting projects. So it's a very steep but a good learning curve because you spend three, four month stops on a project. And then you have to like very quickly get up to speed on what is this company about? What are your problems? What are you doing right now? And, uh, and, and deliver some value. And then you just switch to a new one, which might be, you know, a completely different country, sometimes even a different industry. And you have to figure it out uh, from the get-go. So, yeah, that was a very exciting and intense uh, three years that I spent there.
0: And what, what, what were you focused? Like what types of uh, consulting engagements were you uh, focused on?
1: I quite early found uh, financial services for me. And that was very interesting because I was always more inclined to do technology work. And I, I went to consulting that I don't want to do like financial services and utilities because that just sounds like so boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not tangible. It's not real. I, uh, you know, my dream was to do something on airlines or in, like car manufacturers or something really like technical. And then I got to my first uh, project in the financial services space, and it just started becoming more and more interesting. And what I realized is that retail consumer banking is uh, presenting in our everyday lives, you know, multiple times a day, multiple times an hour. Every time you swipe your card, you go into a shop, you know, you buy something, like almost every part of your life is somehow connected to financial services. And there is a great opportunity. if you think from a human-centered design perspective at financial services, how can you make sure that this is, this is seamless, so you don't have any any problems and you don't have to like solve issues with your bank? But then the next step is, you know, making it enjoyable. And I would say the top is when you when you can actually help people make more responsible and better financial decisions in their lives. So, and as I and I, you know, as I discovered this death of of the financial services, I started to come to terms with it. And just getting immersed in the industry. And then once you get some experience, you know, people just get back go back to you and say, you know, do you wanna work on another project, another project? And I just find myself doing ninety percent financial services.
0: Got it, which ended up being a foundation to what you're doing now. But you decided to go back to, to business school. So you went to Columbia. why did you decide to go to B school?
1: Well, you know, um, the interesting thing with consulting is that um, I understand there are people for whom it's a great long-term career and they spend decades consulting, but I always felt that um, I want to get immersed deeper into building something because of this fast pace and and changing your clients every three, four months. um, You don't really feel that ownership. You, you, You see one aspect of a problem, but you don't... You're not there to build a culture. You're not there to, to build a company and move it from one stage to another. And so uh, business school was just a great opportunity, you know, to take a step back, get some time, figure out what's next step. And, um, uh, and also increase the chances of, of doing something. And I always had this in the back of my mind that I want to start, you know, find a good team and find an idea at business school. Um, and that was, you know, I don't think I ever like said that it was just back there that, you know, it might present the, the golden ticket to a great opportunity.
0: Like what's the entrepreneurial vibe at Columbia these days?
1: It's great. And I think uh, both at Columbia and in New York city, I think there might be a stigma that it's, uh. It's a ton of bankers and investors and a school for bankers and investors. And there are people at uh, Columbia's Entrepreneurship Center uh, that are trying to make this, you know, community more vibrant. And um, there are great companies that uh, started, or originated at Columbia and in New York, like Betterment and Flexport that are kind of like these shining examples of success and scores of other companies that are earlier stage and you know there's a lot of events and I would say even it's more intimate and, and people are more close than let's say in the valley because uh, because of the entrepreneurial culture is probably a bit newer and a bit smaller. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah there's so much going on in New York City and like Columbia has definitely uh, done a lot as it relates to Building up more of the entrepreneurial presence. Same thing with Cornell. I mean, Cornell has such a presence in New York City now; it's awesome. So, at what point did you start Sable? So, uh, let's talk about the foundation of you and your your co-founders uh, actually taking this entrepreneurial journey and what led you down this path.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's obviously a hard uh, hard thing to point it to a date. You when you go to business school like Columbia, uh, the same like-minded people who are in the entrepreneurial community, who take the same classes, you see each other a lot. And so, me and my co-founders, uh, Towers and Mavine, uh, we have known each other, I think, from the beginning of school, and we knew that we we're all interested in doing business. And we all came from similar backgrounds. So Towers was at American Express. Noblin was Capital One. Uh, so they were like really in the financial space. Um, and so we knew each other, and we knew that that we wanted to explore the entrepreneurship uh, opportunities. And uh, I knew that I wanted to do something on the digital banking space. Uh, I have seen a lot of success there in Europe. And you know, when I came to the U.S., uh, I haven't seen the industry as built out as, as it was in Europe. And also just my personal experience with the banks where I – uh, try to open an account, it wasn't great. Uh, so, you know, as an international student, when you arrive to the country, I think the first three things you're going to do is get an apartment, get a cell phone plan, and go open a bank account. Mm-hmm. And when you go to a bank, uh, and you want to open a bank account, you know, they will ask for your social security number, which you don't have as a student, or even as a professional, it takes weeks to get it. And they will, you know, ask you for a utility bill, but I just lived in the Airbnb. I was still looking for an apartment, and so taking the experience of the financial service, I just knew that like this doesn't have to be this way. It can be done easier. It's probably just a combination of big organizations that don't really have the customer in the center of their mind. They think more in processes and policies and you know uh, legacy procedures, and then the fact that they're optimizing their processes for. Americans, because if you're an American, it's not a problem to get your social security number or utility bill, right? Um, but for a newcomer, everything is a much bigger challenge. Um, and same for, goes for credit. If you want to get a credit card, they will look at your American credit history. If you don't have one, you know, uh, they won't look at other things. Uh, they won't look at your education or employment or your, uh, let's say, credit score from your home country so i kind of knew that this is a problem not only for me but also for other people and you know as we had discussions with uh with Teresa and navina about this problem at some point she decided all right let's explore this better and um last december in 2018 um, we started doing some light customer research so talking to people in new york in Colombia. and that light customer research quickly became very deep involvement right and by january uh, we have interviewed like over a hundred customers and we run a survey with over a thousand respondents. And we put up this like landing page, which looked like a, a business that's operating. But if you clicked, you know, apply, it just said, all right, uh, you can sign up for a waitlist. And we got a lot of waitlist signups without any paid advertisement. We just posted some posts in like, you know, Columbia and some other schools where we had friends. And that convinced us that, you know, uh, there is an opportunity. So let's really focus on working on this. And so I would date the start of the business um, being January 2019.
0: Got it. Okay. So what did you do next? Like, how did you start to actually build out the business? You kind of proved out that there was something there, but obviously you need to actually create products that you know enables the opportunity for uh, international you know people to to get you know a bank account or a credit card.
1: Yeah. So once we were uh, convinced that there is demand. Uh, we couldn't just jump into like writing code or building the product. We knew that this is you know, a heavily regulated industry and uh, you need licenses to, to provide any financial services. Um, you need to make sure that everything is regulatory compliant that you're doing. So we spent the next few months um, going through all the regulations, talking to everybody in our network who, who was some kind of compliance expert or legal expert on the field making sure that the things we want to do are compliant, you know, when you, when you want to onboard uh, newcomers to America who are uh, students or professionals working at companies, inevitably the question arises, you know, you have to prevent money laundering. You have to prevent, you know, financing of terrorism. And there are things that are regulated and you cannot do. So we had to make these design, these safeguards. How are we screening the people who are coming in and making sure that they are who they claim to be. And, you know, they have a, uh, no bad intentions. So there was a lot of design and research work. We also had to find a bank partner. It's very hard in America to get your own banking license. It uh, takes years and costs plus millions of dollars. And you know, since the financial crisis, they're having eight banking licenses issued in the whole country. Really? Uh, wow. Yes. And if you compare it to the 6,000 licenses that are out there, it really shows that you know the regulator regulator is very careful these times. Um, so we had to find a bank partner. We talked to to a lot of banks about our plans, looking for not only you know someone to provide us license, but also someone who believed in our mission and was aligned on you know serving this segment and was important for them. And so we were done essentially with all the the preparation work by. April, May. Uh, and that was the time where we saw right now we are ready to actually work on the product. So the next step was to recruit our technical co-founder because uh, among the three of us, we had some technical knowledge, but we didn't feel confident enough to, you know, write a entire banking app uh, from the ground up. And, you know, I had a privilege to work with uh, amazing engineers on projects where we worked for banks. Uh, so I reached out to a few of them everybody pointed to one uh, common point which was uh, joe and so you know we had a few courting chats with joe talked to him about the plans and actually he was also you know telling us that he have been considering leaving the corporate space and and, and doing something more early stage something more entrepreneurial so after a week or two uh, of discussions he was on board and so he became our CTO and our fourth co-founder. And so that's our core team now. Um, and, you know, in the meantime, as you do with every early-stage startup, we apply to a lot of programs. And approximately the same time when Joe joined our team, we got admitted to the Y Combinator, which is a great startup accelerator for early-stage companies. As soon as we graduated Columbia, we booked our tickets and flew out to uh, the West Coast to start Y Combinator.
0: Well let's uh, I wanna deep dig deeper into the whole Y Combinator experience, but before we get into that, let's let's talk about, you know, Sable. So uh where are you at now with, with the company or the, the, the products? Like uh like are you you haven't actually fully launched yet and what's the timing for that?
1: Well we actually did. Um and it's uh it's a very interesting um thing because we did launch in August uh with checking account and secured credit cards, which essentially, you know, allows our customers uh, to do their basic banking. So you can deposit money in your account. uh, You can open it online. You get it within five minutes and uh, you can, you know, we'll give you a virtual card right away. We'll ship a plastic card later and you can start using it. And then when you go to our website, you will still see that you're on the waitlist and you can sign up to the waitlist.
0: I, um that's why i thought you guys were still like kind of keeping things under wraps
1: yes um and so the reason for this is that as i said you know the financial space is, is not only a heavily regulated space it's also a space where the tolerance for mistakes is very low mm-hmm. uh which means that you know if you have a, a game or a fun app and, and something goes wrong you know people are a bit sad they can't use it but if something goes wrong with people's money they get really upset mm-hmm. uh and they are right. Um, so when we launched, we capped our customer uh, numbers mm. um, for a few statement cycles. Now we are able to you know, personally tend to any issue that arises with any customer's um, account. Uh, we are building new features and we are just basically focusing on making the whole experience very scalable and safe and secure. Um, and we are planning to do a public launch uh, very soon. You can still get an account from us. So if you get on the wait list, you know, and you're lucky, then you will get an invitation email and, and you can sign up for a Sable account. But we want to make sure that we are open to every newcomer to America or even Americans, if you know, uh, they like the low cost banking and the great experience. So we will be launching it publicly uh, in the coming months.
0: Now was this something that was always part of your plan as far as kind of like, you know, releasing it and, you know, different pools of, of people so you can control kind of the overall quality of, of what you do or was that something that someone advised you to
1: do? Yeah, I th- it's a combination of both. We, you know, we all came from financial services so we knew that there is some testing cycle, there's complexity, so you have to have like a pilot period and then as as you start digging deeper into into an industry or a specific project, you always explore and discover more and more complexity. Mm-hmm. So, um You know, the hard thing uh, in building any fintech app or any app that works in a larger ecosystem is not designing a great experience. Um, That's, you know, pretty obvious and you have methods how to do that. Uh, The hard thing is that you have to operate in a large ecosystem that's there for uh, decades. And if you want to send money to a wire transfer or just another account or international transfer, you, you have to build out integrations with all these organizations that run these money transmission networks. Or you know, if uh, if you swipe your card, your transaction will go to you know scores of different uh, technology providers, payment processors, the credit card network, and so on. And that's just the base case. You know, what happens if you dispute a transaction? What happens if you report your card stolen? So we have to, um, we have to cover all these cases. Mm-hmm. And obviously, as with a lot of early-stage startups, you know, some things for now are just done manually, and we are automating and, uh, and building technology to cover for things that we do manually right now.
0: Got it. Now, So, so why do you think um, in the industry, I know banks have their own way of doing things, so it's just... That's how we do things, type of. They can't get out of their own way of their own process. Do you think it's also the challenge for them was more the they would say like the risk factor? So how are you decoupling the risk that you know legacy banks may talk about?
1: Yeah, you know if you if you talk about risk, there's two types of risks um, in our line of business. One is regulatory risk, which is. Um, Somebody will claim that they're someone else, and um, they will open an account in someone else's name and do something fraudulent or or do something bad. But that's one type of risk. And here is just you know the technology progressed a lot. You have online databases, you have optical character recognition technology that can uh, you know verify passports and driving license licenses and, and different documents, and you have a lot of other different methods to prevent fraud uh we have almost unlimited amount of data and it's just you know nobody forced the industry to start using this data. and I, I believe that as soon as a few players will start using it and that will result in providing a better and faster experience the others will also try to catch up although for you know big organizations i have virtually banks who have you know different committees and shareholders and uh there is certain types of like innovation risk that they cannot take. Uh, So they will probably be only followers and not lead this charge. Now, the other type of risk is credit risk. And, um, you know, there the the question is, can you assess that a person in the future will pay down their loan? It sounds a very simple uh, task. And when I look at, you know, any of the other students who I went together with to Colombia, I think half of the students were internationals, I wouldn't have had any trouble, you know, giving them a $2,000 credit line. Like these people went to a good school. They were hardworking. They did a lot of uh, effort to get to America and get a visa and, you know, start a new life. So it just seemed a no brainer. But then when you look at the, the credit model, which the bank uses on, on hundreds of thousands of people that, you know has a very mathematical way of looking at things it has a fico score which is based on your past financial experience and financial behavior in the country and these people don't have this data so then the task became you know this trust that we have in the people that we met in person and i know that they are in our school but they were in all the other schools and all the other jobs um how do we translate that to numbers and how do we make sure that the computer can make the same decision that we would have made personally uh, without question,
0: thankfully, a lot is happening in the financial services industry of this forward-thinking approach because the the legacy banks are in the stone ages, and it's incredibly frustrating on so many different levels. And to hear what your company is doing and how you're just making things um, more advanced and simple, you know, it's like Brex, you know, that like they've done really well of giving founders solutions for funding their company versus having to. Go to a bank to get a loan, which they're so risk adverse, they would never loan money to a startup. It's it's insane. Yeah. And your funding options are, you know, maybe raising venture capital, but the percentage of companies so, that raise venture capital is so small. So, it's uh, it's it's sad how the banking system operates and how they are so, you know, against any risk tolerance. So it's that you guys are taking on. Um, it just, it just blows my mind how arcade things are still run. So what's your plan for, so once you do more of your larger launch, like like what is your plan to actually grow your you know, your consumers, your customer acquisition that's going to be the livelihood of your success?
1: Yes. Um, well, you know, there's uh, some plans that I cannot share because uh, we'll be launching them, them publicly as a company. But what I can say is that we see that the international population is, is large in the U.S. and a lot of people are coming in every year. It, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, if you listen to the news, you might think that, oh, you know, immigration is not really uh, a big thing now. There's, like, not as many people coming in as they were. But if you look at the uh, big picture numbers, uh, there's currently over 40 million foreign-born people in the U.S., which is about 12% of the population. And this number tripled in the last 40 years. You know, A lot of estimates say that this is going to uh, grow in the same pace in the next 40 years as it grew in the last 40. So we see it as a great opportunity. And uh, you just have to look at you know where people go mostly. And so uh, you can obviously see great schools, great large companies that employ a lot of people, uh, a lot of engineers, a lot of business professionals and scientists coming from different places. And it's obviously also concentrated in in major cities uh you know on the east and west coast so we are going to focus on these areas and um we believe that uh these communities are, are tight and when you move to a new country that's a major decision in your life you will prepare for it and you will ask other people who already made this journey before you to you know to get their opinion how to get a visa where to move in how to get an apartment where to open a bank account so uh, we believe that there is a lot of community effect to this uh, to this market, and we would like to create features and uh, benefits in our application that will make you know these community effects even more incentivized and people uh, just share with their friends and with their community.
0: Let's talk about Y Combinator. So Y Combinator is a top accelerator. Um, so, so what advice would you give to entrepreneurs on the application process and actually doing gain- Entry into the economy.
1: Well, you have to prepare. And that's, a, I think it's an understated um, thing because you might have a, a stellar team and an awesome business idea. Um, but the people who are screening applications, they screen over 10,000 applications every application season. So if, you know, if your answers aren't consistent and very sharp, uh, and it doesn't strike the essence of the business and the greatness of the idea doesn't strike out at the first uh, read through. Uh, you just risk that you know the person will lose interest, they, want, uh, they will put your application to the other pile and you will never get in. and they might miss out on the great uh, application. So what we did is, you know, as I said, New York already has a great entrepreneurial community. So we had advisors at school and from our personal network who have already you know, helped somebody who got into a company Everyone knew how important it is to, to take the application apart and put it together a couple of times. So um, we had a lot of people review our answers. Uh, we made sure that every, you know, it clicks for the first time on the first read for everyone. And then you know, once, you, once you get to the first round of application, you have to prepare for an interview. And it's the same process, just verbal. Those are very short, 10-minute interviews with rapid-fire questions. And if somebody asks you, you know, uh, why are you better than your competition? Or they ask, you know, what's unique in your business model? You have 10 seconds to explain it. And if you go into, you know, this long explanation, they'll just cut you off at the second sentence and you won't get the chance. So be consistent, be concise, and and have a lot of of people in your application.
0: And once you are accepted into Y Combinator. Like, how would you advise entrepreneurs on maximizing that experience to making sure that you're getting the most value possible out of it for your your business?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Obviously, this is the only, you know, accelerator that I have participated in. But I think it's very unique that Y Combinator treats entrepreneurs really as adults. And it doesn't force, they don't force their help on, entrepreneurs uh, so every company has a Thursday or a Tuesday night dinner every week where you have one speech from a white Combinator partner and one other entrepreneur who will talk about the topic and you know if you don't reach out more then that's all what you get um, but you can get so much more uh, you can set up you know they have amazing partners who, who founded really great companies and you can get their uh, expertise and their opinion on all the challenges you have. But you have to reach out. Similarly, there is a community of thousands of companies and there is an internal discussion forum. And you can reach out to any of those founders. And a lot of them, you know, most of them will actually, like, got back to us, helped us uh, with our questions. But you have to reach out so i i say that you have to take a proactive approach and you have to to reach out to a lot of people and ask them for help and then they will help but if you just you know go with the flow and and do only the things that you are asked to do that might be a missed opportunity
0: now this all leads up to the big demo day um so so what's that day like i mean there's you know a lot of companies participating, like I think the latest round was like 84 companies. Are you, are like, so are companies raising capital before actual demo day or are they hoping to raise capital on demo day? Because I think it's, you know, it kind of depends on each company and the traction that they're getting ahead of the actual day of their demo.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it differs on company and stage. For us, it was obvious we launched a week before demo day. So we we're really heads down on, uh, on building the product and making sure that we, we have customers and, and we prove the concept, by them away. And um, it's a great opportunity because you never have uh, the opportunity to talk to hundreds of investors at the same time, and to great investors. Uh, you know, it would take months to, to reach out to all of them individually instead of meetings and get your story to them. Uh, and it's obviously also a good uh, pre-selection because. When you pitch investors you have to set up a meeting go to the meeting and talk to them and you don't know if they're even interested in you know your story right but uh, at demo day there's so many companies that they will also opt in only to the companies that they are interested in so most of the interactions you have are already with people who who like it and then let me just say you know uh, shout out to my confounder Naveen. she's uh a great speaker. We made a team decision uh, that she presented our company, and I think it's uh it's an all-consuming experience, um, especially if you're not not a very experienced public speaker, which I'm certainly not. And I know that uh, I would have had a very hard time um, focusing on on running the business and preparing for this you know big stage speech. She did an amazing job. Um, we had a lot of inbound interest from investors after we uh, we pitched, and I think it's it's a combination of you know experience and in the field, and that we all came from financial uh, services. And by the time of demo day, we also had a few other members in our team who just increased you know credibility in a few key areas like technology and compliance, but also about the mission. You know, ultimately we are helping people who who come to the country to maximize their potential because immigration is a controversial topic but I think we can all agree on that once you are here you shouldn't make your life life harder like you should have the you know the full potential to to you know live your life and, and uh, get a good career and uh, just live up to your potential and yeah. so uh, the financial segment is one that is supporting this and getting credit and not only credit cards, but later all kinds of financial products. Uh, that's a big hurdle bit for newcomers. So I think a lot of people bought into this mission, especially that you know a lot of people from the investment community are uh, immigrants, former immigrants themselves.
0: Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Now, uh, building Sable, what has been like the biggest challenge you know, building and running a company so far?
1: got a great question. There is a lot of challenges uh, to choose from. I would say it's, you know, it's still this legacy um, infrastructure that you have to integrate with. You now we have amazing uh, technology talent, that, and I, I believe that we would be able to uh, build new features every week. But then you have to build, uh, have to deal with big companies with a lot of bureaucracy. Uh, and you won't believe how long it takes to get, you know, approved the car design or, you know, become a member of the credit reporting associations to just report the credits of your own users. And so that's a constant frustration that you have to deal with an industry with hundreds of large companies. And, you know, for us, this is the only thing we do. It's super urgent and we want everything the next day. For these companies, oh, they have time. Uh, so it's also a a challenge of always finding the right people within these companies and getting their help in, you know, moving these processes faster.
0: So what, uh, what would you recommend for any, uh, books that you would suggest to other founders or podcasts that you listen to?
1: You know, unfortunately I feel like, um, I was a big book reader, uh, big bookworm when during college and before, and then I went to consulting and went to, um, uh, went to business school and started my own business. and, and it, just the the reading list is piling up. Uh, and there is mostly you know a lot of technical books I've read recently. that are really uh, close to the business. And same with the podcasts i um, I obviously listen to most of the you know startup related podcasts. I love uh, how I build this podcast with Guy Raz and uh, the Bank on it, which is more a fintech podcast with John Siracusa. But my recommendation would be, you know, to just like always put aside some time and read or listen to things that are just like general. I love the Planet Money podcast from the NPR. Uh, and I try to listen to the BBC's, you know, global news podcast every morning just to not be only very deep in my own expertise in the area that I'm working on. Because a lot of inspiration, a lot of um you know, new ideas come from unexpected places. So I think it's important to to put aside some time and uh, stay up to date and, and immerse yourself in, in other topics as well.
0: I agree with that. And it's advice that I need to take more of because I do just consume so much startup, entrepreneurial journey type of podcast that it is uh, refreshing to kind of shift gears and listen to something else. And it does open your minds and just hear other creative uh, elements that maybe I could, you know, incorporate into venture for So, uh, definitely great advice. What, what, what about, um, when you're not, you know, focused on, you know, building your company, what, what do you like to do for fun outside of work?
1: Well, you know, uh, again, I would say that when you do a startup, the thing you like to do outside of work is to sleep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it's, um, you know, I like to hike and travel and, and uh, explore new places. But recently, it's, uh, I think an early-stage startup is a very uh, consuming experience. And not only because of time, but also because your mind is on it, even if you're doing something else. So pretty much I'm limiting my free time, or my free time is limited now to you know, trying to get some sport, not lose the health at all. And then when I have some free time to catching up with family and friends uh maintain those relationships and you know i think that a couple of years down the road uh there will be more opportunities to uh to do other stuff but that's you know i think uh that's what you have to accept when you go into starting your own company the first few years there won't be a lot of other things uh outside of business
0: very very true Well, Andre, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background and, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial journey that you're on, plus uh, all the great advice for Y Combinator. And, uh, you know, of course, best of luck with uh, the success of, of Sable.
1: Thank you so much for having us. And, you know, look out for our public lounge. It's coming soon.
0: Stay tuned.